Hebrews 3, verses 1 to 6. We're going to open with a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, even as we confess this morning, all I have is Christ. So we proclaim all I need is Christ. We rejoice in the hope that is ours in Christ. And Heavenly Father, even this morning as we turn our attention to this passage and as we consider Christ, may distractions fade away. May we focus. May we consider. As we see our Savior, may we mourn over our sin. May we be emboldened to proclaim his greatness. May we be encouraged to make disciples. May we be challenged to be faithful even as we consider Christ. Heavenly Father, we pray that you would work. As we gather here this morning, we may look good on the outside. We may sound good, but we know ourselves and we are desperate for you, Heavenly Father. And yet you are a God who loves to forgive. Forgive us. Cleanse us. Embolden us. Empower us. For your glory, may Christ be magnified here this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. I was never a big fan of running. I enjoy sports. I enjoy basketball. I enjoy soccer. I enjoy sports that, that involve running. But as far as just going out and running, just to run, running circles, that was never something that I enjoyed. Some people love that. You just you love to get up in the morning in the cold and run around in circles. I don't, I don't get that. <laughs> in high school, obviously, we'd have to run uh, in, in, in physical education class, and so we'd get out there and we'd run. And our coach would always sit there at the, at the finish line, and, and there was a certain number of laps you had to do to get a mile. And as you, as you run, each time you come through, he's standing there, and he's, he's encouraging you. Each lap, keep going. You can do it. Keep going. Keep pushing. You're, you're at this speed. You can get faster. Each lap, he's encouraging us. Be faithful. Finish the race. Push yourself. Keep going. There's a reason he's doing that, right? We need that encouragement. We need that push. We need that reminder. As you come to the book of Hebrews, the book of Hebrews is a call to faithfulness. This group of believers to whom this book is written, they are struggling with faithfulness. They are tempted to turn back to Judaism. It seems easier, it's more comfortable, it's more accepted. And the author of Hebrews is pleading with them to stay faithful. Don't turn back. Don't slow down. Look how far you've come. Stay faithful. 
We saw that at the beginning of chapter 2. After chapter 1, this, the, the glories of Christ, this is who he is. He is greater than the angels. Chapter 2, therefore we must give more earnest heed to the things that we have heard, lest we drift away. Don't drift away. Stay faithful. Now as we come to chapter 3, it's as if we're coming up on lap 2. And once again, the author of Hebrews is sitting there at the finish line, and he's saying, stay faithful. Consider Jesus. Consider how far you've come. Consider what has happened. Who he is. Stay faithful. As we come to Hebrews 3, verses 1 to 6 this morning, we'll see a challenge to consider Jesus. And in light of that consideration, the implication is be faithful. As you consider him, and as you consider him rightly, the only right response is to be faithful, as we'll see this morning. This morning, we'll see a challenge to consider Jesus. He's a faithful um, Savior, and he's a faithful Son. First thing we see in the first several verses of Hebrews 3 is just the simple consideration. Consider Jesus. Verses 1 to 2, Therefore, holy brethren, partakers of the heavenly calling, consider the apostle and high priest of our confession, Christ Jesus, who was faithful to him who appointed him, as Moses also was faithful in all his house. Therefore, Therefore, there we see that word again, therefore, which connects to, to chapter 2 and to chapter 1. Based on everything that we have seen about Jesus Christ, based on who he is, based on his excellencies, his glory, the fact that he is greater than the angels, based on who he is, based on even as we've seen at the end of, of chapter 2 in the last two weeks as we focused on his incarnation, based on who he is and based on what he has done for you. Based on all of that, holy brethren, partakers of the heavenly calling, he makes it clear here who he's talking about. He calls them out. Believers. Brothers and sisters in Christ, you who share with me in this heavenly calling. Believers, brothers and sisters, consider, consider the apostle and high priest of our confession, Jesus Christ. Consider, think carefully about, pause and think. What's interesting is as we come to this passage this morning, this, these six verses, this is the only imperative in the, whole chap, in the whole passage, these six verses. The only imperative is to consider, to pause, and to think. Dwell on this. Dwell on this. Consider what? Consider the apostle and high priest of our confession, Christ Jesus. Really, these two ideas, Christ as apostle and Christ as high priest, really kind of sums up everything that the author of Hebrews has said up to this point. This ties into that, therefore. Therefore, based on everything I've said, consider all of that and who Jesus is. 
He is the apostle. The apostle is one who is sent forth with a message. We saw that in chapter 1, did we not? Jesus Christ is the superior word of God because he is the son of God. He is the word made flesh. He is the apostle, the one sent by God with a message. And then he moves into chapter 2. He's not only the one sent, the superior word sent by the Father. He's the high priest of our confession. We saw that in chapter 2, did we not? This great high priest who is able to sympathize with our weaknesses. As we see in verses 17, therefore in all things he... Or starting... Yeah, in verse 17, Therefore, in all things, he had to be made like his brethren, that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God, to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For in that he himself has suffered being tempted, he is able to aid those who are being tempted. He is the apostle, the one sent on a mission by God. He is the apostle of our faith, and he is the high priest of our confession. Our perfect high priest. And who is the one who fits both of these offices? Who is the one who is both apostle and high priest? It is Christ Jesus. It is Christ Jesus. Interestingly, this is the only, the second time in the first three chapters uh, to this point that Christ Jesus is named. So he wants you to be clear. In case you've missed it, in case you haven't gotten the implication... This is Jesus Christ. This is who I'm talking about. I want you to see this. I want you to know this. Look at Jesus Christ and consider who he is. He is the apostle. The one sent by God with a message of salvation. He is our high priest. The one who represents us before God perfectly in knowledge and understanding. Consider who he is, but consider what about him? He's the object of this consideration. Consider him, but consider what? Consider that he was faithful. This Christ Jesus, the apostle and high priest of our faith, he was faithful to him who appointed him, even as Moses was also faithful and all his house. Here, we're introduced to a comparison that's going to carry on through the rest of these verses. This comparison between Jesus Christ and Moses. In fact, this is a comparison that's going to go forward to the next several uh, passages into chapter 4. A comparison between Jesus and Moses and then Jesus and Joshua. And what we'll see at the end is that Jesus is better. He has a better promise. He is more faithful. And that's what you start to see here. He was faithful to him who appointed him as Moses was also faithful in all his house. Why does he pick out Moses? Why is he focusing on Moses here? We mentioned earlier, and we'll see this as we move through this passage, that Moses, as we know, is one who was highly considered in Judaism. He's he's tied in with the law. And Moses is the one to whom these, these... believers, this young congregation to whom the author of Hebrews is writing, they were tempted to turn back to him. They were tempted to go back to Judaism, to fall back under the law. 
And so the author of Hebrews starts a comparison him. Moses was faithful. Moses, too, served as a kind of an apostle and a high priest, did he not? He was another example of one who was sent by God for a specific purpose to deliver his people. He's another one who represented the people before God. Even as the Lord tells Aaron and Miriam, Moses I speak face to face with. He had a unique relationship. This is a comparison that we're introduced here. Jesus is faithful as Moses was faithful. Consider Moses, or consider Christ. Consider him. This comparison doesn't stop here, but it goes on. Consider Jesus. Consider what? We go on into verses 3 and 4. Consider him as a faithful Savior. For this one has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses. Consider him because he is worthy of more glory. From 2013 to 2015, Chris and I worked in a youth center on the near east side of Indianapolis. It was a rough neighborhood, and many of the kids we worked with came from rough homes. And yet, despite that, most of them were, were awesome kids. But many of these kids struggled with hot tempers. At a moment's notice, they could just be completely overtaken with rage. I mean, you could see it in their eyes. They lost all control. We were trained to constantly be on guard, to catch it, to watch out for it. What we found is the best way to deal with this anger is to completely remove them from the situation. When you see it start to stir up in them, you immediately step in. You get between. You usher them away. You remove them to another room. You get them out of the building. You completely separate them from the situation. Then once you get them removed, you sit down and you talk. And your goal is to calm them down and get them to think. Get control of yourself. Focus your mind. Think through this. Is it really worth it? Is it really worth it? In fact, the, we wouldn't necessarily say it in that phrase. The phrase that, that was popular at that time in, in that neighborhood is, is, it would be like, it ain't that deep. Guys, it ain't that deep. It's not that big of a deal. Calm down. Think through this. Consider what you're doing. It's not worth it. Get them to pause, to think through, to consider the facts. That video game is not worth getting beat up over. That basketball game, it's not worth getting kicked out of the youth center for the next month over. There's more at stake here than your pride. The goal is to get them to pause, get control, consider the facts, remove them from the situation, and get them to respond then rightly, logically, to make the right decision because they've considered their actions. 
It's as if in these first few verses, the author of Hebrews pauses for a second to call his readers back to focus. Don't just hear what I'm saying. Don't just hear, but pause and listen. Consider. Think through. Really think through. Consider it. Concentrate. Remove yourself from distraction and focus. Think deeply. Every single one of us feels that pull toward unfaithfulness. Every single one of us struggles with forgetfulness. The author of Hebrews calls you to consider Jesus. Pause. Think through this. Consider who he is. See that he is worthy of more glory. Remember what he has done for you and consider him. He's a faithful savior. He started with this comparison in verses 2 and 3 between Jesus and Moses. And now he goes on in verse 3 to show that, yes, there's this comparison. But that's pretty much where it stops. Jesus is infinitely worthy of more glory than Moses. This one, Jesus, he's been counted worthy of more glory than Moses. In as much or to the same degree that he who built the house has more honor than the house. We get that illustration, do we not? A builder who builds a house. You don't sit there and like, man, that house did an awesome job. The glory of the house points to the glory of the builder, right? That builder is skilled. Look what he has done. Jesus is worthy as so much more glory in the same degree as he who built the house is worthy of more honor than the house itself. Now we need to pause here and consider this word house. It appears several times in these few verses. And, and the idea of house here is not a physical structure. It's the idea of the household of faith. The household of believers. He who built the house has more honor than the house. Not only is this an illustration, it's a statement. That Jesus is the faithful builder of this house. Jesus is worthy of more honor than Moses because Moses is merely a faithful member of the house. Jesus is the faithful builder of the house. And really what that means is this is a statement about who Jesus is and what he's done. If he has built the house... That means that he is the Savior. He is the author, the foundation of this salvation. This salvation is possible because of who he is. Because of what he's done, even as we saw in chapter 2. In fact, he's called in Hebrews 2.10, Jesus is the the founder of salvation. He's the builder of the house of faith. This salvation is only possible because of who Jesus is and what Jesus has done. And so pause and consider that. You're tempted to go back and to follow Moses, but pause and consider this. 
And Moses is just a member in the house. Look to Jesus who built the house, who made your salvation possible. Verse 4 carries on with this kind of illustration, this illustration slash proclamation. Every house is built by someone. It has to come from somewhere, but he who built all things is God. Really what we see here is a clear statement of the divinity of Jesus Christ. What the author of Hebrews is doing here is he is saying, Jesus not only built the house, Jesus is God. He's not just worthy of more glory than Moses because he served God to a better degree than Moses. It's because of who he is. It's not just because of what he's done. He built the house. But it's because of who he is as well. He is God. It's a clear statement of the deity of Jesus Christ. That is the Father who's ultimately at work through the Son, even as we saw in chapter 1, referring to creation. Jesus is not just God's agent in salvation. Jesus is God himself. It is a clear statement of the divinity of Jesus Christ. The author of Hebrews is calling us to pause and consider this. He's the apostle and the high priest of our confession. Think about that and what that means for you. He's the one who's built the house. He's your savior. He has made it possible. He's the founder of salvation. And he is God himself. In fact, he goes forward with that same thinking into verses 5 and 6. He's not only a faithful builder, a faithful savior, he's a faithful son. He carries the same illustration of Moses and Jesus. Moses indeed was faithful in all. His house as a servant for a testimony to those things which would be spoken of afterwards, but Christ as a son over his own house. Now pause and note the differences between what is said here about Moses and Jesus. Moses indeed was faithful in all. All right, so Moses is in the house, in all his house. Notice that his there, in the New King James, it is capitalized. This is not Moses' house. This is God's house. It's Christ's house, even as we see going on to verse 6. Moses was faithful in Jesus' house. As what? As a servant. And what was his role as a servant in this household of faith? For a testimony to those things which would be spoken of afterwards. Moses was not an end-all, be-all. Moses had a role as a servant in this house, and his role in his household of faith was to point forward to what would be. His role was to point forward to Jesus Christ, the fulfillment of all of God's promises. In fact, that's where you see that, that word but there in verse 6. Yes, Moses was faithful, and yes, Moses served, and Moses did a great job, and Moses put looked forward. He's not downplaying Moses' role here. 
but he's calling you to focus not on Moses, but on Christ. Yes, Moses did that, but Christ, he was faithful, not as a servant in this house, but as a son over this house. Moses was in the house, Jesus is over the house. Moses was a servant, Jesus is a son. Christ as a son over his own house. Again, it is his house, as we saw in verse 3. Moses testifies to things that will be spoken of. Moses testifies to God's glory. What the author of Hebrews is saying here is the glory that Moses testifies to, Jesus shares in that glory. Moses says, look forward. Glory in God. Look what he will do. Jesus says, worship me. Look what I have done. He shares in the glory of God because he is God. In fact, it goes on, whose house we are if we hold fast the confidence and rejoicing of the hope firm to the end. While Jesus is our Savior, Moses is just an example to us. You are not his because you endure. You endure because you are his. The end of this passage here, whose house we are, if we hold fast the confidence and the rejoicing of the hope firm to the end. We touched on this kind of idea this morning, looking at the security of the saints. The idea here is not uh, you are his because you will endure. The idea here is you will endure because you are his. Even as we saw in Philippians 1, 6, right? He will complete in you what he has begun. And how can God do this? Look back to verse 1. Consider who he is. He's the apostle, the high priest of our faith. It is his house. It is he who has saved us. He's the founder of this salvation. He's the son of God. He is God himself. It is his house. And he serves over that house. And he will not let anyone fall away. As many of you are aware, my father owns his own commercial cleaning business. And I've worked countless hours in that business, cleaning buildings at night, cleaning offices for my dad. I, starting as a, I think it was a sophomore in high school or a junior, probably a junior, as soon as I was able to drive myself. Um, we were, my dad had a library branch, and I had my own branch that I would clean every night. I was there, faithfully serving and cleaning. I enjoyed it. Now, I was somewhat good at, good at it. I was a faithful janitor. I would go in. I would clean. I would do everything that was expected of me, and I would do a good job. But any time that my dad would clean with me, it would take us two to three longer, out, times longer to do the same job. It's not that my dad was a slower cleaner than I am, but my dad is not easily satisfied. My dad was not, simply, was not satisfied to simply do what was required adequately like I was. He would do what was required excellently. He would go above and beyond. He would do extra little things, things that no one would even notice. And it used to drive me crazy. 
they're not going to see that. Why are you wasting time? Let's go. See, the difference is that it was his business. He was personally invested in this job. His livelihood, his name, his reputation was tied to it in a way that mine and no other person who worked for him was. I was working in the business. He was over the business. It was his business, and he was personally invested in this. I was just working for some extra spending money. He was working to put food on the table. And so, yes, I was faithful to do what I had to do, but he was faithful to a much greater degree. I was a janitor. He was a business owner. The author of Hebrews here wants his readers to understand that Jesus is not just another prophet like Moses. He's not just another servant in God's household of faith testifying to God's glory. Jesus is God's son. He's not merely a member of the household of faith. He is the founder and the builder of this household of faith. Moses gives glory to the Father. Jesus shares in glory with the Father. Yes, Moses was faithful. But Jesus is infinitely more faithful. And Jesus is infinitely more worthy. I want to return to the idea that we kind of opened with as we, as we consider the larger context of Hebrews and, and what these believers are, are dealing with. The believers to whom the author of Hebrews is writing are facing strong personal, social, and political pressure to abandon their newfound Christianity and to return to Judaism. The temptation was real. Judaism was easier because it was more accepted in the Roman Empire. Christianity was this new fringe thing. It caused problems. Judaism, by accepting Judaism, they would be accepted in their immediate community. They'd be accepted in the Roman Empire at large. There's less persecution, there's more freedom, there's more acceptance. Life would just be easier. And I'm sure that the temptation, the temptation was huge. In fact, practically, they likely knew many from their own family, from their own community, friends, who had turned back. And the author of Hebrews is here pleading with them to pause and consider Jesus. Don't look at what's easier. Look at what's true. Don't settle for what is accepted. Stand for what is right. The truth is true even when it's hard. Just because life is easier, that doesn't mean that's right. If Jesus is who he says he is, then there's only one right response. Not only can you endure, you will endure because he will be sure of it. In fact, the irony, the irony that the author of Hebrews kind of points out here, the irony is that if you really want to follow in the footsteps of Moses, 
To follow in the footsteps of Moses is not to fall back under the law. To follow in the footsteps of Moses would be to follow Jesus. Moses was a great example. But Jesus is greater. And so, the irony of this whole passage is, yes, you're tempted to go back. You're tempted to fall back under the law. You're tempted to run back to Judaism because that would be easier. People are telling you, come back and just follow Moses. The author of Hebrews here says, yes, be like Moses. Consider Jesus and hold fast the confidence and the rejoicing of the hope firm to the end because Jesus will hold fast to you. Be like Moses and follow Jesus. That's really where this comparison comes to, kind of leads at this point. Moses was great. Jesus is greater. Follow Moses and follow Jesus. As you come to the end of this passage, like I mentioned at the beginning, the only imperative here in this whole passage is to consider. Pause and consider. That's what the author of Hebrews wants us to do this morning. Just think about it. Just pause and consider. In fact, I think there's a reason why the author of Hebrews doesn't start at this point jumping into, okay, now this is what you do. Do this and this and this and this. Because before you can do those things faithfully, you have to have considered who Jesus is and accepted who Jesus is. Obedience without conviction leads nowhere. Before you can move forward, before you can really be faithful, consider. Because faithfulness follows faith. So before you you really jump into this, pause and consider. Think through who Jesus is. Think through what that means for you. Think through it honestly. And the implication here is, as you think through this, there is only one logical response. And that is faith and faithfulness. Sometimes the most appropriate response is not to go and to do, but simply to pause and think. And this morning, the author of Hebrews simply calls you you to pause and consider Jesus. My clicker's not working.